This is Triple H 100.1 FM with Ian Stewart. Good afternoon and welcome to Rotary Matters. Today we're going to continue our exploration of Rotary, what it is, the good work that it does and how Rotarians and non-Rotarians can get involved. Now we call the programme Rotary Matters because you're going to find out over the next hour Rotary impacts many lives, many causes and many concerns locally and all over the world. Today we continue our investigation into some of the international aid projects driven by our local Rotary Clubs. And this one, this one takes place in Siem Reap in Cambodia. Now, although Cambodian families have been slowly rebuilding their lives since the Khmer Rouge genocide, the fact remains that Cambodia is one of the poorest countries in the world. Rural areas of Cambodia still face severe poverty, lack of health care and low levels of education, economic opportunity and resources. So today we're going to be meeting Tony James from the Rotary Club of the Upper Northern Beaches here in Sydney. Uh, Tony and his team lead the Smart Villages Sustainability Programme, changing the lives of people in Siem Reap and lifting their living standard. Look, it's a great story. It's a heartwarming story. And it really brings out the differences that can be made with the right goals, some foresight and a passion to make the world a better place. I'm sure you'll enjoy hearing all about this from Tony James. But look, if you're joining us for the first time, let me just give you a quick refresher about Rotary. It's a worldwide organisation set up over 100 years ago to foster the idea of service above self. Around the world, there are 1.2 million members, 35,000 Rotary clubs in 220 countries. So it's quite large. Here in Australia, we have 30,000 Rotarians, 1,100 clubs, and there's another 270 over in New Zealand. Here in the Triple H catchment area, uh, we have 10 Rotary clubs, though as our signal goes beyond Hornsby and Karingai, that number is certainly higher. Uh, most clubs meet once a week and they donate their time to a range of very worthy local, regional and international community service projects. So you're going to find Rotarians fighting disease, providing clean water, sanitation and hygiene, saving mothers and children, supporting education, growing local economies and promoting peace. Locally, you might run across Rotarians running a food bank for those less able to pay. You might meet a student here on exchange from overseas attending a local school. Or Rotarians running a fundraising event focused on sending emergency shelter boxes to help communities overseas which have been devastated by natural disaster. So, today we're going to be meeting Tony James from the Upper Northern Beaches Rotary Club to tell us about the Smart Villages Sustainability Project in Cambodia. Another important example of Rotary's international work. So, uh, stay tuned. Welcome back to Rotary Matters. Today, we're going to be meeting Tony James. Um, also with me in the studio is fellow Rotarian John Cronley, who's going to be giving me a hand with some of the questions. So, um, welcome, Tony. Hi, Ian. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you. And John. Good to be here again. Okay, let's begin. Let's understand a little bit about um, where Cambodia is. Now, Tony, just position this for us, if you would, and tell us a little bit about where it is and the situation of CM Reap. Uh, Cambodia is in Southeast Asia, in uh, sometimes referred to as Indochina. Um, it was a French colony. Uh, its neighbours are Thailand and Vietnam, both about 75 million. The population of Cambodia is about 16 million. Um, it has a inland sea called the Tonle Sap Lake, which connects to the Mekong. And the interesting thing about that is when the monsoon's on, it actually, the water flows backwards from the Mekong and fills up the lake and it goes from an average height of one metre to nine metres. And Siem Reap, is this the capital of Cambodia? No, the capital is Phnom Penh 
which is also at the other end of the lake and on the Mekong. Siem Reap is on the western end of the lake, which is about the shape of a rugby ball. And um, it's the third biggest city, the second being Batambang. Okay, um, I mentioned at the beginning, uh, Tony, that um, the Khmer Rouge genocide had had uh, quite an impact. Do you just want to tell us what that actually looked like? Um, Pol Pot was in power from 1975 to 1979. The population then was about 7 million and he killed um, in excess of 2 million. So what he did is he wiped out... Uh, all the intellectuals, if you, wore, if you just wore glasses, you're a victim. He took out all the business managers, killed nearly all the monks. So this genocide, which, which per head of population was probably the worst in the world, even greater than the Jewish genocide in the, in the war, the main war, um, uh, yeah, it, was, it was brutal. And, and more importantly, he was killing his own people rather than another minority. So over six million people. Uh, uh, no, about two million were killed, and the, the population was seven million. Oh right. So right. like about a quarter of the population. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 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 if that wasn't enough, uh, uh, the current prime minister Hun Sen uh, was part of the Khmer Rouge and had a falling out. He went to Vietnam and persuaded the Vietnamese to overthrow Pol Pot, and the Vietnamese came in and occupied the country for another ten years, uh, promoting. Um, uh, internal war and landmine. Both parties uh, uh, used landmines, and that legacy went on up until only recently. So we've got a country that's been very heavily devastated um, twenty years ago, and is slowly recovering. But it is still a poor country, Tony. It's possibly the poorest country in Southeast Asia. Um, about twenty percent of the population live below the UN poverty line, which is one US dollar per day, uh, and nearly all of them are located in the countryside. So m- nearly all the small villages in the country uh, are poor, and that uh, constitutes about 85% of the population. So we're talking about poverty, we're talking about poor sanitation, poor um, agricultural systems, poor education. It, yep, uh, all of all of the above. Um, the West uh, uh, gives... Cambodia is something like $6 billion a year and they keep on saying to the Prime Minister you'll not dispossess people from their land uh, otherwise we'll cut out uh, your funding. He says yes I promise I won't do that and takes the money and the people will almost never see it. Wow. So a lot of work had to be done and you and your team uh, discerned this, the, the issues confronting the local people up there and the term smart villages and sustainability, how does that all come about? Um, it's, it's a bit of a long story. Um, uh, about 10 years ago, a Rotarian from uh, uh, Victoria went up there. He was a retired doctor and he wanted to give back. He had this bee in his bonnet about uh, making whole villages self-sustainable. Uh, which means you'd have to include things like health, education, clean water, uh, family violence, food security. And he was prepared to put his money where his mouth was and he he went to um, the founder of the current Build Your Future Today, which is the NGO we'll be talking about more of, and he was a director of the children's hospital and he wanted to find the poorest village and he thought the easiest way to do that was by looking at medical records. 
So they found their project, their, their first project. It was about 100 kilometres from Siem Reap Town. And um, he donated $60,000 of his own money each year for four years to make this project work. And between the two of them, uh, after making mistakes, they had a, a wild success on their hands. And what did that success look like? Um, so what they did is they... The, the, the end game was... was um, education but you can't say to a starving people I want you to go to school they're too busy trying to put food on the table so they, they tackled the most important and pressing things first and that was obviously nearly always uh, infant mortality and maternal health so they took care they did a, a, a BMI body mass index in the, of all the kids so they worked out who's malnourished and who needed immediate attention and so they made that happen and the next biggest thing in this four-year project is to provide clean water. Um, the, the, the climate in Cambodia has a five-month wet season where it just buckets down. And if you fly over Siem Reap, it looks like the whole town's underwater. They're mostly rice paddies. Uh, but more importantly, they had this seven-month dry season. And it's brutally dry in the hottest part. It's like uh, 45 to 50 degrees. Ouch. Uh, yeah, for seven months. And, of course, nothing grows. Now, a lot of these poor villages aren't on permanent uh, water sources. Obviously, the villages around this, the inland sea, the Tonle Sap Lake, are fine. But that doesn't account for most of the population. So, so how is clean water being provided then to these communities? Well, the... the cheapest way of doing clean water is with a well. It's just a concrete ring. They put it on the ground and they dig dig a hole and the ring sinks and then they put another one on top of that and so on. Until they get to the and, water table. Uh, until they get to water. But, and the negatives for the $500 solution are that it often uh, gets polluted in the wet season and dries out in the dry season. So it's an, in many cases not a permanent uh, uh, source of relief. So the only other alternative is to go for a more expensive one, which is drilling a bore um, 30 to 50 metres down. And you've got to do that in the dry season because you know you've hit the aquifer. If you do it in the wet season, you're likely to get false readings. And that has a concrete surround on the top and a, and a, um, a hand pump, a levered hand pump. So do the local communities have the tools with which to uh, drill these bores? No, the, we, we hire contractors to do it. So in saying we hire, we're talking here about the project that your Rotary Club yeah. is, is supporting. Maybe I should go one step back and, and tell you how I got involved with yes, that. Please. It might put things in perspective. Um, we were living in Singapore, my wife and I, and we had a holiday over there. And by sheer coincidence, my tuk-tuk driver after seeing an orphanage that I went to go and look at, he said, would you like to see where I volunteer to teach English? And uh, he took me to build your future today in Siem uh, Reap. And I met the founder, whose name is Long Sedtha. They do their names back the front like the Chinese. Um, and I was so impressed with this guy. Um, I was just recently retired and didn't know what I was going to do in retirement, so I just made an instant decision to throw my lot in with this guy. He was the closest thing to Mother Teresa I thought I'd ever meet. <laughs> um, and this, he hit, this guy uh, it was 16 when Pol Pot came in, 19 when he left. His family of 14 went put to, uh, in 
to work in the labour camps. Um, he, would, he was with the boys, his sisters with girls, fathers with other men and so on. Um, and he never saw his family and until the Vietnamese invaded and they threw Pol Pot out. Uh, he walked for 15 days to a Thai refugee camp. Well, it wasn't a refugee camp then, but it, but it got him out of the country. And he picked up 20 orphans as he went because they um, couldn't find their parents. And this was pretty impressive for a 19-year-old who was um, worried about his own life. They could only move at night in case they were detected during the day. So he caught your attention, and for very obvious uh, humanitarian reasons. I totally understand that. You were inspired, um, Tony, then to take this idea to your Rotary Club here in Sydney? Yes, I did. I, um, I wasn't a Rotarian. And I just thought, how am I going to get funds to support so this So that's guy? what you wanted to do. You wanted to get some money to help them. Correct. To dig their wells, etc., etc. Yep. Yep. So I, I knocked on the door of my Rotary Club and I gave them a PowerPoint presentation. And to my amazement, they said, we'll give you a cheque for $7,500. We really believe in what you, you believe in. And, of course, for my sins, I then became the president of the club. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that 75 would buy 15 wells at $500 a go. No, that 75 would buy two and a half wells. They're about, they're about $3,000. Sorry. Yeah, $3,000. Sorry, the wells are $500, but the bores, the which bores. is what we mostly do, yeah, yeah. they're about 3000 Right. Yeah, but so, so, so do they have the equipment in situ to do this? No, but there's contractors all over the country, and mm-hmm. they have a they have a little derrick, and they uh, they'll only contract if you you agree to do um, three uh, wells, three bores in um, at once rather than one by one, because they've got to get the gear there, uh, and they work under dreadful conditions because, as I said, they can only drill in the hot season, so they're they're drilling away at between 40 and 50 degree temperatures. Okay, so um, the provision of clean water was a high priority. That's the most expensive uh, individual item in the four-year project, uh, um, but it's very crucial. Um, Children mortality is caused by three things. Uh, Diarrhoea, which the clean water fixes almost straight away. Mosquito diseases, which we can fix pretty quickly with a $15 impregnated uh, mosquito net and the third thing is malnutrition but that takes longer because because of the dry season they thought have given up trying to do um, fruit and vegetables and they don't have the capital to do protein in their diet you know uh, uh, pigs uh, fish or uh, poultry whatever so uh, what our project does is introduce all those things. They can, do, they can grow rice because um, they, they can be guaranteed of the monsoon and that's a relatively cheap um, product to harvest. We're talking here with Tony James from the Upper Northern Beaches Rotary Club about some wonderful work that his club is supporting in CM Reap. I want to hear a little bit more from uh, Tony after this. Uh, John, you had something to ask. I was going to ask, you, you mentioned that you, you provide a lot of wells. Is there a need to purify the water? And if there is, how do you do it? Um, if we use the wells, which is the concrete ring, um, they use water. They, they take a bucket to get the water out of it, the, and then 
they put water purification tablets in it. But um, the water that comes out of the bores is cleaner and it gets tested before anyone gets to drink any of it because in some instances there's cyanide, but we haven't struck any in the CM Rip province that we're active in. Um, but they just have uh, like sand filters, which is, looks like a, uh, a, a box about, um, I don't know, nine inches by nine inches by a metre high. And you just tip a bucket of water in the top and get the bucket and put it underneath and in 10 minutes it's filtered. Uh, more sophisticated filters are starting to creep in because we're, we're now, uh, with the cost of solar coming down, we can use uh, solar pumps to pump the water from the bore into a header tank and then it will just, uh, with, a, with a more sophisticated filter, um, offer clean, even cleaner water to the people. So this water is good for drinking? It's uh, the way we. It, yes, the answer is yes. It's good for drinking, but they also obviously use it for bathing, and we try to get them to grow, have household gardens. Now they've got access to water to water it through the dry season, and they don't have to bring in uh, bottled water. Now bottled water would be al- almost unaffordable where they are because the roads are so bad, and the reason why they're poor is because the roads are bad and they're a long way away from either a major a road or a major town, and so they just don't have access for trading. Um, where was I going to go with that? Um, well, um, I do have another question I want to put to you, Attorney James. Yep. Um, we've spoken about um, clean water and how it gets up and how it is filtered. Um, what about uh, financial assistance to, lo- to the local community? Do you provide any loans at all to help them um, get little businesses going? Yes. Well, as I said, um, when we start the four-year project, we do the urgent things first, which is uh, infants. Mm-hmm. Then we start to get the water system yep. going as quickly as we possibly, possibly can. Now, the next thing is to do food security. Now, the problem with food security is they've 80% of the population are illiterate. So if we give them um, some sort of uh, vocational guidance, if they can't read, they're not likely to be able to sustain it. So we insist that they do a six-month adult literacy course, and when they finish that, they then qualify to get a microfinance loan. So if, Ian, if you and four of your friends wanted to become pig farmers, then we would have a farmer's club. And each one, this is not um, a Cambodian idea. Most of this came from Mohammed Yunus, the Nobel Prize winner from Bangladesh, who started microfinance and all this sort of stuff. And he found that if they form clubs, uh, if one person wasn't going so well, the other four would buoy them along. So you would make the the grant. To, uh, it is a grant, or is it a loan? It's a loan. It's a loan. Would yep. you make it to more than one person within a cluster at the same time? Is that yeah, the idea? each one would uh, would get their own microphone. Uh, yeah, each, everyone would get one separately and be responsible for it. So if I want to do pigs and my neighbour wants to do cattle, so and, you, uh, and the third one wants to do um, watermelons or something. Um, that that's no, not an issue. We don't all have to do pigs. No, no, no. There, there will be enough. There'll be enough uh, people to for to have four in a pig farmers club, and they'd all have their own separate businesses, and four for, for cattle. And, mm-hmm. and it's often the most popular things and the most expensive is pigs, but then fish farms and chickens are the two most obvious ones. After that, so, so they have to demonstrate literacy. 
before you before that they can accept a, a loan. Yep. And obviously some competence in managing money. Well, we've got an MOU signed with the Department of Agriculture and the Department of Education, and the one that goes with the agriculture means that we'll get a pig specialist to come out and teach that farmers club. Um, when to, when to buy the pigs, what to feed them on, when to inoculate them and when's the best time to take them to market. And when they do take them to market because they've got done adult literacy, they can now count and therefore they're not likely to be uh, robbed uh, by selling it uh, undervalued at the market. And, and, and Tony James, approximately how much is, is, a, is a loan in, in, in uh, Australian dollar terms? $200. So That's they're, all. They're very small. But, you know, you can, uh, it goes, it a, goes long, a long way. It goes a long way. And uh, the other interesting thing is there's strings attached when you get the microfinance loan, apart from having to pay back the money, and that is they then have to promise to send their kids to school. Because mm-hmm. like a lot of third world countries, a lot of parents think the more kids they have, the more they're going to be looked after in their old age. But um, the m- fact of the matter is most of them can't afford to feed them and they'd rather have them working on the rice farm than they would going to school. If you're illiterate, you can't see the value of an education. So we have to dangle the carrot of food security to make them then want to send their kids to school. So ironically, while the end game is literacy, uh, is education, it's usually the last thing we do in that four-year period. That usually only happens in the end of the third year. But it's a stepped approach and um, obviously um, meets a local need extremely well. We're talking with Tony James about some work that his club is doing up in, in Siem Reap in that part of Cambodia. It's Ian Stewart, it's Rotary Matters, it's Friday afternoon, it's 29 minutes to three. And in my guest, my guest in the studio, we have Tony James. And uh, helping me with the questions uh, with one now is John Cronley. Tony, this is obviously a very successful project. Have you had any requests from nearby areas for similar involvement? John, uh, since we did our first village, um, the news got around very quickly and we had lots of villagers um, saying, pick me. Um, So the first village was done, uh, started about nine years ago. Um, It had uh, 575 people in the village and at the end of four years, it had grown to over a 1,000. It had um, 60 kids in school. And at the end of the four years, we had 260 kids in school, which was about 97% of the available population to go to school. Um, I think something like 47 of them would then qualify to go on to middle school. And most importantly, we had zero deaths uh, from infant mortality. Um, uh, The statistics in Cambodia in the rural area is that one in five children don't see their seventh birthday. So it's very high infant mortality. I can't tell you how many kids we saved, but I can tell you that none of them died. This must be enormously gratifying, these numbers. It it really is. And you you say, is it measurable? It certainly is. Um, One of the things we do uh, when we finally get to building schools is we have a school demonstration garden. And that uses one of the bo- the bores that we would have uh, built and we we put crops in that we know that will tolerate the harsh conditions and the children were coming to school and they couldn't concentrate because they were hungry 
their parents couldn't feed them a good balanced diet. So the the school demonstration garden gave them food and vegetables to add to their rice and we would buy in protein. Um, And the idea of the school demonstration garden was that the kids would get used to working in the garden and more importantly they'd go home and tell their parents to do the same thing because they too would then have access to, to clean water. So at the end of the fourth year I went to the first village and I looked around and said where's the school demonstration garden because I go up there every year and they said we don't need it anymore because the kids are growing their own the families are growing their own uh, food and the kids are coming to school with full bellies so that that was I mean I used to love to watch the school demonstration garden because it all all looked so good and it showed progress but this is even more progress because they're doing it in their own villages and then I took a tour through the village and every house had stuff growing and chickens running around. So it is very gratifying. Absolutely, absolutely. So, I mean, uh, Cambodia is a popular tourist destination um, yes. for people all over the world, but also for many from Australia. Uh, if they were to visit one of the uh, communities where you've d- been doing this work, would there be anybody there that could uh, welcome them and explain what's been going on? How would someone get an understanding from outside as to the impact that you've had? Well, the Siem Reap town is, used to be a tiny little village until the temples were discovered and they were claimed back from the jungle. And um, it's now a city, I think, of about 600,000. It's, it's really a fun tourist city. Um, and because we uh, have been doing this for, you know, 12 years now, um, we figured that a lot of the people, you know, after two days going to the temples and getting very hot, would like to see what the real Cambodia is, not like it was it was um, at f- uh, 5 AD when the temples <laughs> were built. Yeah, we're talking uh, about Angkor Wat, are we? Yeah, Angkor yeah, Wat, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, uh, we run tours to our villages uh, and to other things. Um, uh, interesting thing is I mentioned that the lake grows from one metre to nine metres high so they had these floating villages, or they're not always floating. Some of them are just on five, uh, nine metre high poles to account for the high tide. But so we do uh, tours out to there. We do tours to the villages that we've been successful so, in. So, uh, so Tony, the we who we're talking about here? Well, I'm I'm saying we because um, I'm talking about BFT, Build Your Future Today, and uh, and I've since started Friends of BFT Australia. And so we are one of about 10 other countries that support um, BFT in Cambodia. And um, we, we are something like 65% of their revenue. So we're the biggest of the supporters. Um, so this is how someone who was in tra- on holiday up there and just wanted to get away from the temples for a moment yep. and get deeper into the countryside yep. and understand the impact of what work you've been doing. It would be through the Build Your Own Future Build Your Future Today. Sorry, Build Your Future Today. The reason for the long-winded name is after years of uh, having no leaders in the country and people feeling desperate, they they weren't used to asking for help. And he's saying, build your future now. We're here to help you. So it was a call to action by the founder to say, we'll help you. Just put your hand up. Uh, Because a lot of them would just shrink back and suffer in their misery so this whole work is an activity of the upper northern beaches rotary club there are other rotary clubs elsewhere in the world who are also um 
throwing some weight behind all of this. There is a, there are other friends of BFT organisations around the world, and there are a lot of Rotary clubs also involved. There's Rotary clubs in Australia also involved with our Smart Villages project. The Rotary Club of Griffith would. Um, wanted me to come down and speak to them because they figured that a lot of people were reluctant to join Rotary but were quite happy to be a volunteer. And they said, well, why don't we have, get a tradie and six helpers, untrained builders, and we'll go up there and we'll build a community centre. And and when they see uh, the um, fruits of their labour, they may well be interested in joining Rotary. Isn't that good? So they went up there... Um, uh, Chad's the neat Malvern have been up there and they've done the same sort of thing uh, the, the community centre is just uh, uh, like a triple car garage in size <laughs> yeah, but with thatch walls So this was Griffith in New South Wales Griffith in New South Wales Ch- Chadston in Victoria mm-hmm. um, they're also going up again this January um, because uh, they want to install uh, solar panels on a roof that will pump water into a header, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, so there's lots of clubs doing that sort of... Um, uh, Rotary Club of Brisbane have been up there and they're concentrating on a, a software product they've developed called Teacher in a Box. So they're teaching people English there because being a tourist town, if you've got English, the chances are you're going to get a job in hospitality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they're, they're heading people to work in... to be uh, pr- uh, uh, provide money for themselves in a positive way. Excellent. We're talking with Tony James about a one, some wonderful work being undertaken in Cambodia. John? Uh, Tony, were there any major hurdles to overcome uh, when you're getting yourself established? And is your know-how available to other organisations that want to do something similar in another part of the country? Um, um, the answer is definitely yes, there are uh, hurdles, but they're minimised because we have great faith in working with this NGO, Build Your Future Today. Uh, as I mentioned, um, this guy uh, was involved in the Khmer Rouge. Uh, you know, he's a victim of the Khmer Rouge. He escaped to a refugee camp. Um, Ten of his, out of 14 of his family died, he, which was unfortunately not uncommon. And when he came back uh, to Cambodia... He became a director in in a hospital. He was helping individual families in crisis and then he started to do this four-year project work. So because of his experience, uh, and when we do tackle a village, we let the choice of which village is most worthy be his. Uh, And and when we do decide to sign a contract with the villagers, um, they're the ones that tell us what they need most. Um, No matter how how good the Rotarians are, they don't think through third world eyes and they're not being party to that sort of experience. So we defer to the village chief and his management committee as to what uh, what we tackle first. We'll be back with uh, Tony in just for a moment. Back to John Cronley. Tony, do you have any problem with the language? And is there any, being that uh, Cambodia was a French colony, is there any residual French left? Yeah, good question, John. Um, no, there is almost no um, French spoken anymore. Um, uh, when the temples were became a big tourist attraction, it was, it was imperative that they speak English, which is probably the most well-known 
uh, most used language in the world. Um, our founder now is 64, and he said his father used to speak French. So that generation has practically died out. In terms of how do I get on uh, speaking Khmer, <laughs> very badly, because we went over there to teach English for six months, and they didn't want uh, us to learn to speak Khmer. They just wanted to learn English. So all I did was speak English with them. But I, I know all the pleasantries like please and thank you. Um, and, but uh, fortunately, we've now got so many well-trained English speakers that we've got many well-trained um, uh, guides who would do translation for us. Yeah. So um, going back to some of the projects, um, <clears throat> you mentioned some work around wells and provision of potable water, um, sanitation, education, maternal health. Um, are there government or local government authorities, as we would know them here in the West, that sort of supervise or keep an eye or have to give approval for any of this? Or can you just detect a need in the village and, and just go for it? Well, um, BFT now has like five project managers. When we first started, we only had one. And so, and we tried to confine our work to CM Reap province. There's about 20 provinces. Um, and this means that we've got economies of scale. So if we do a project in one village, the chances are we're likely to move on to the next village. And and that village has already seen uh, the results of our project. And they've put their hand up and say, select us for the next project. It just means that when we've got the school up and running, you've got a principal and four teachers, then that principal can help with the selection and training of the teachers in the next village and so on. Um, you know, it, it, in terms of medical stuff, you know, they're more inclined to use old-fashioned uh, cures, like putting cow dung on oh, on wounds and stuff <laughs> like that. But nowadays, they'll, they they don't necessarily understand why we use this medicine, but they know that the results work better so, than the cow dung. So I'll just take a leap of faith because they've seen it happen. A band aid is better than cow dung. Yes. <laughs> okay, John. Exactly. Uh, Tony, is there any electricity in these uh, villages? Uh, no electricity, no sanitation, no water, not much. No. So life's pretty difficult. Yeah. Uh, so what, paraffin lamps or how do they go about that? Uh, well, um, a lot of the, you, I mean, generators, you put a generator in and they can't afford the diesel to keep the, the generator going. Uh, solar's starting to become a really big thing because the cost of the panels and batteries... The batteries are still the most expensive component of solar, but even if we just got uh, solar in uh, and only worked during the daytime hours, that would pump water to a header tank and allow that to happen. But now as the cost of batteries comes down, it means that they can then... We can do our adult literacy classes at night where it's well lit. Um, and, of course, they'll be able to do craft and all the other things that come with not going to bed when the sun goes down. Tony James, I congratulate you on your initiative. Um, having almost stumbled onto the need when you were up there some years ago, it's now morphed into something make a huge difference to these communities up in, in that part of the world. Yeah, it's been, it's been an absolute pleasure doing it. I, mean, I think we've probably touched the lives of something like 35,000 people now. And um, for our listeners, what's the best thing that they could do to either get involved or to, to help in any way? Well, go on to our website. It's uh, www.buildyourfuturetoday. 
www.friendsfromthefriends.org. Mm-hmm. And um, that'll be Friends... Uh, sorry, Friends of BFT Australia. So that website takes you to the Friends? Yeah, well, no, okay. no, there's two different websites. There's mine here, and Friends of BFT Australia. But okay. You, but you can also go onto the Cambodian site, which is just BFT or Build Your Future Today. And... There's my contact details there if you think you want to volunteer or if you're just going to be visiting there and you'd like to see our work, I'll arrange an introduction for you to meet the founder and his project managers and most likely they'll take you out to the villages. That's wonderful. That's very generous of you to do that. You've got a lot on your plate already, I can see. Well, can I do a plug for my big annual fundraiser? Please do. On uh, October the 19th, we're having a dinner dance at the Novotel at Manly. Um, It's hosted by ABC's James Valentine, (laughs) so it's bound to be great. Um, And we'll have have a band, art exhibition, originals and prints, and we'll have a guest speaker, the Honourable Diana Bright, talking about uh, uh, family law. And our founder will be in from Cambodia as well. So you'd be more than welcome to come along to that one. And you'll see details of that on the website as well. So just to recap, there's two websites. One is www.buildyourfuturetoday.org. That's Cambodia. That's in Cambodia. And the other one is today. In full. Australia. Australia. Yes. So that's not just be, it's friends of buildyourfuturetodayaustralia.org. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I hope you remember all it's of that. It's a mouthful. It is a mouthful. But anyway, mm. it doesn't matter. It is terrific that you've done all of this. And I repeat my congratulations to you. John, I think you share that uh, view. Indeed. It's absolutely it's heartwarming to see such a fantastic work being done. Well, so, thank you, yes. So well done indeed, Tony James. It's Ian Stewart. It's Rotary Matters. It's